Let's go ahead and uh, get started. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for giving to us your word, especially your word of law recorded for us in the Ten Commandments. Help us to understand through that law that we are sinful people who are in need of your mercy, your grace, and your care. Grant us faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law for us and grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to keep on going here with this uh, discussion of the law. We talked a little bit about sin um, last two weeks when we were talking about the fall into sin, where Adam and Eve disobeyed the only law that God had given to them, which was don't eat from this particular tree. And uh, after that, the fall into sin, there's necessary uh, for there to be more laws uh, that might reveal our sin within us uh, so that we understand we need a Savior in Jesus Christ. And uh, the reason for that is, and we'll talk about it here as we, we go through this a little bit, um, we, we get used to sinning, we like to sin, we get comfortable in sin, and without an external word from the Lord, um, it would be easy for us to overlook our sin, as so many people in our world today do. And so that's, uh, that's an important thing for us to remember as we're looking at the uh, Ten Commandments. And so to start with, we want to talk about how we know what the law is, or maybe a way to say it, how do we know what's good and what's not good. And um, the first way is, uh, under number one from Romans 2.15, God wrote the law onto people's hearts at creation. And does somebody want to read Romans 2? They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Right. The law is written on... The hearts, or as Paul goes on, we call that law written on our hearts the conscience, right? Which is when we do something uh, that is wrong, we automatically feel guilty. At least the first time we do something wrong, right? Um, God gave us a conscience that... Um, when we see people doing something wrong, we get kind of nervous. Maybe we back away. Um, we, uh, we don't participate because our conscience tells us something's wrong. Now, the trouble is, is that sin has also affected the conscience. And our conscience breaks or doesn't work as good as it should. Uh, or when we continue in sin... Uh, the conscience gets calloused and hard. Um, and so it's kind of like maybe if um, the, the first time that we steal a car, we get really, really nervous on it, uh, and we, we feel really, really bad about it. But the hundredth car that we steal... Uh, Rich, you could testify to this. No, just do that. <laughs> the hundredth car we steal, we don't feel quite so bad about because we've done it 99 times before and we've gotten used to it and we haven't gotten caught. 
Or maybe we only get caught once every 100 times, and so it's not that big a deal. That's how consciences get seared or broken or calloused and don't work as well. Um, and all of us have this in some way, shape, or form. Um, for example, when you were a little kid in first grade and you said your first bad word, what'd you do as soon as you said it? You, you, you giggled like, oh, look how hot shot I am, right? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty, really something, I, I said a bad word. But now that you're older and you've said bad words every day for the last 10 years, they just come out and you don't even care or worry about it, right? Okay. What's that? Right, Darla? Thank <laughs> Right. It just happens. Yep. Our conscience is broken. For that reason, God also has to reveal his law to us in a way that can get our attention, that can get through our callous conscience and tell us the things that we're doing are wrong. To say, it's wrong to steal cars. To say, it's bad to curse or swear. To say that um, hurting your neighbor is not a good way to go about your life. And for that reason, God also gives us the law in the Ten Commandments, revealed from his very mouth, uh, the first set of uh, tablets he writes with his own finger, um, God gives us his word clearly to tell us what's right or wrong. He does that uh, in Exodus 19 and 20, and it's uh, recorded for us again then also in Deuteronomy 5, and uh, Exodus 31 records what happens. God gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written in the finger of God, and on those two tablets were the Ten Commandments. Now, two tablets is important because there's two different types of sin. Maybe that's the way to think about it. The first table of the law deals with our relationship with God, the vertical relationship uh, between man and God. So we have things like, you shall have no other gods, you should uh, remember the Sabbath day, go to church, uh, you shall not misuse the name of your Lord. Those are all ways that we sin against God. The second tablet of the uh, Ten Commandments, the second table, deals with our relationship with one another, right? I should not murder my neighbor. I should not steal from my neighbor. I shouldn't gossip about my neighbor. Um, I should love and honor my father and mother. That deals with the people that are around us horizontally, uh, the, the people that live uh, in our lives day to day. And so the Ten Commandments are divided in that way. Commandments 1 through 3, dealing with our relationship with God. And commandments 4 through 10, dealing with our relationship with neighbor. And even at the end of our uh, communion services, we pray that way, that when we take the Lord's Supper, we might be strengthened in faith toward God and in fervent love toward one another, our neighbors. Well, we pray that uh, when we receive Christ's body and blood and the forgiveness and life that comes with that, that we keep the Ten Commandments both towards God and neighbor. Uh, it's important here for us to talk about, too, uh, as it says there, the sharp distinction between law 
and gospel. Um, let's just read that whole thing here. <clears throat> the law teaches us what we are to do. The gospel teaches us what God has done and is still doing for us. Um, in other words, who is running the verb when, let's just use the word give, right? Um, if God gives something, that is good news. It's gospel. If the word says you should give something, that is law. We also have the second way of looking at law and gospel. The law shows us our sin, and the gospel shows us our Savior. Or as we teach confirmation kids, SOS for both of them, right? The law shows our sin. The gospel shows our Savior. The law tells us what things we do wrong, what things we're supposed to do that are not wrong, and the gospel shows us how God forgives us our sins through Jesus Christ crucified and risen. When we hear God's word, both of those messages, law and gospel, are contained within. We hear about how we have fallen short and failed, uh, how we ought to be perfect, but we are not. And that's our sin. The law reveals that within us. We also then hear about how Jesus was perfect in our place, how he bled and died to forgive sin. That's the gospel. We should hear both of those things in all sermons. We should hear those things and look for those things when we read God's word. And uh, uh, that's kind of the key that opens all the scripture so that we might understand it clearly. Uh, and, and if you... It's not easy to always do. Uh, Walther writes that it takes a lifetime of learning to be able to distinguish law and gospel properly. But the better you get at that, the more you desire to be Lutheran. I don't know how to say it any different way than that. But if you can understand law and gospel, you'll be a Lutheran. Um, because I think we get that right best out of all with all respect and kindness to other church bodies. Does that sound really arrogant? <laughs> and when I say we, I'm not talking about me or Pastor Poppy. I'm talking about Lutheran doctrine in general. Hopefully, Pastor Poppy and I get it right. And if we don't, your job is to kindly tell us about it, right? So that we do a better job at that. Questions so far? All right, so I want to look at the Ten Commandments here one by one. And as we do so, I want you to examine your own life and think about which of the commandments you have kept, which of the commandments you have not kept, which ones you've done pretty good at, which ones you've done really bad at, and... Um, just think about that, and then um, we'll, we'll kind of work through them that way. All right, the first commandment is the uh, most important of all of them, which is why it's number one. Um, and it is, you shall have no other gods. 
It comes right out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Um, God says, you shall have no other gods. Now the question is, what does that mean? What is a god? Money, sports, stuff. Yeah, money and sports and stuff could be a god, definitely. How? Yeah, in the uh, the large catechism, that's the way that Luther defines it, and I think he's right. Um, anything that you put your trust in can become a god. That means even good things, right? Is it good for you to have money? Yes. Yes. But if you love that money more than any other thing, it becomes an idol or a false god. Money is an easy one to see because we, you know, at least, at least in the cartoons we know the, right? Or um, it's Christmas time. Who's who's a good person who has an idol of money that we think of at Christmas time? Scrooge, right? Um, Ebenezer Scrooge, who spent all his days counting his money and forsook all other people and things. Um, that's kind of the go-to example. There's other ones that are idols in our lives that are much more close to our hearts generally. Um, it's difficult to hear. We ought to love God more than we love those things. Things like, um, I have a beautiful, wonderful wife that God has given to me. But I'm called to love who more than her? God. God, right? And yet, it's difficult because I have a really great wife who loves me. Um, if I love her more than I love God, she can become an idol. Um, in America, because we are uh, one of the, we're the top 1% of all the people in the world in terms of wealth, um, we have nice homes that we love, that we, we get frustrated if something bad happens or if, you know, the neighbor, um, even silly things like if the neighbor doesn't rake his leaves fast enough, right? We get all mad because that hurts the value of our house or the neighbor's kids. I got in trouble when I was a kid. I was riding my bike up and down the sidewalk and I turned around in the neighbor's driveway. Get off my property, right? Because he loved his property more than anything else. Um, all sorts of other things like that that we, we can love more than God. And whenever we do, it becomes an idol. Um, children. Um, boy, this, this maybe stings a little. We, we live in a really great country, and we should thank God that we live here, but we ought to love God more than we love our country. Country can be, sure, number two or three after family, however you want to do it, but God is always supposed to be number one. As God says, I'm a jealous God, jealous for being in our lives, for being uh, um, us being his possession and no others. So, that's what the, the law teaches us here, that we ought not have any other gods, but then our God that we have should be the one true God, which is who? 
who is the real God that we ought to love above all other things? Yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God that's revealed in the personal work of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Um, so this then also separates us from all the other false religions like uh, the Mormons who have an infinite number of gods uh, or believe that you can become a god yourself. It separates us from the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe Jesus wasn't God but rather just a creation. It separates us from Islam which says uh, there's only one God um, and there's no such thing as the Trinity and Jesus is just a guy who's a prophet. It separates us from Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, it separates us from all these other religions when we have the correct God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God wants that for all people uh, and our sin, we struggle with that. So. I don't, I don't want to put anybody on the spot here, but there's the first commandment in a nutshell. How many of us have kept the first commandment perfectly? All right, that's good. No ands. <laughs> Always have to talk about it a little more, right? Yeah, we, we haven't. We've fallen short already with commandment number one. We don't do what we ought to do. Instead, we do what we should not do already. Any questions about the first commandment? Now, the first commandment is the foundation for all the rest of the commandments. Uh, and in the small catechism, Luther says the definition of the first commandment, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, which is a fancy way of saying we ought to have faith. And when we have faith, in the true God, all the rest of the commandments fall into place. When we don't have faith in the true God, none of the rest of the commandments fall into place for us. If we break the first commandment, we break the rest. If we break one of the rest of them, we've also done it because we've broken the first, first commandment. And we're going to see that as we work through the rest of these uh, as well. So then uh, next, the second commandment, would somebody read that for us? <clears throat> shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Right. We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name. Those are things we do that break that law. Uh, and then on the other hand, we should call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Those are the things people of faith do uh, in keeping that law. And to start, we have to talk about what is the name of the Lord your God. And this goes back to who our God is. He is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We should use that name rightly and not use it wrongly. In the large catechism, Luther talks about the number one way that we misuse the name of the Lord God is by attaching it to false teaching. Okay, so go back to our examples from the last one. When we have, let's, let's pick on the Mormons here, okay? The Mormons baptize people using the words in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, but they might baptize someone on behalf of someone who's dead, uh, 
from the past. So, uh, Darla, you're in the front here. Can I use you? Sure. The Mormons might baptize Darla on behalf of Darla's great-grandma, Jill, right, who died 75 years ago. They would baptize Darla now with God's name so that Jill now became a Mormon in their eyes. Where does Scripture teach that that's acceptable? Nowhere. Do they believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? No. How many gods do they believe in? I mean, any number of them, right? So they've used God's name, but they've attached it to something wrongly. God says that's breaking the first commandment. Compare that with what we do when we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? We believe one God and three persons, three persons and one God, and that God has commanded us to baptize in such a way with water, uh, and that even we do it for infants or older people, um, knowing that God is the one working faith in that baptism. We use God's name correctly in that way. What about our church services? We begin our church services how? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying everything we're going to do in this church service is going to be done according to what God's Word says, according to His name and His teaching. Now, if we start the service in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then I say in the, the, the service, God wants you just to be happy here in this world. There's no such thing as resurrection. Live for today. Be healthy. Be merry. For tomorrow we die. And that's the end. If I do that, am I keeping the second commandment? No. Um, if you want a good example of that, and you have Sirius XM, listen to the Joel Osteen channel. Right? He teaches falsehood after falsehood after falsehood, all in the name of God. It is breaking the second commandment. That's the biggest thing the second commandment has to do. It guards what we say with our mouths that it might be said and done according to what God's word teaches um, uh, in the Holy Scriptures. To, this will drive us to the third commandment in a minute, but there's more we need to talk about second first. But if we're going to keep the second commandment and only use God's name appropriately... What does that mean we have to know about God's Word? I could stand up here and I could tell you a whole lot of stuff about calculus, right? That, um, well, yeah, calculus is how we calculate the volume of irregularly shaped objects. And the way that you do it is you take the height times the width, and then you'll know the, the, uh, the area there, right? What's the problem with me telling you that? You don't know what you're talking about. I don't know a thing about calculus. <laughs> right? And if I tell you an irregularly shaped object, can you just take the height and the width? I'm telling you a wronghood because I haven't studied calculus. If we want to use God's name appropriately, we have to know what God says in his 
word, which means we have to study God's word on a regular basis. And that will drive us to the third commandment in a minute. We also have um, using God's name inappropriately by cursing and by swearing, um, which would be, a curse would be if I said, um, you know, may God send you to hell. Or the way we usually say it is, um, which would be like God, dang. God dang it, right? Except we don't say God dang it. We say it a little bit more directly, right? And we don't have the authority to do that, right? I, I don't have the authority to send um, the hammer that crushed my thumb to hell. <laughs> Who does? God, who gave the hammer for a good purpose, yeah. right? And I just used it wrongly, swinging it in my sin and hitting myself on the thumb. Or swearing, right? If I'm going to be in court, I say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, God. And then I say, it wasn't me that ran over all those baby kittens. It was Wayne, you know? He's the one who did it. Throw him in jail. Let me go free. If I'm telling a lie under oath with God's name involved, that's swearing. Okay? Uh, satanic arts. It seems like this one shouldn't be a big deal anymore, right? We live in America, but it is. What are some examples of satanic arts? Worshipping Satan, for starters. What's that? Worshipping Satan, for starters. Worshipping Satan. <coughs> Did you see in the news this week that the big thing that all these people are trying to do is say we have religious freedom, which means we ought to have a statue of Satan everywhere. In the one uh, state house, they, they put a statue of Satan right next to the Christmas tree to be open to all. Um, so that's one, yeah. What else? Do you ever drive past here in Lincoln? Places where they have, uh, it's usually a tattoo parlor, and then right next door there's a psychic tell you the future. Um, does God ever promise that to be true? So we, we could probably classify that as a satanic art. Um, would you call the teacher in Alcorn the one that is not allowing anything of Jesus in there, or did you not? Well, it's not really safe. She, she she's she doesn't want any anything that recognizes right. Christ. I I wouldn't say she's using a satanic art. I'd say she's pushing a false belief and breaking the first commandment. Definitely. Um, a satanic art, I would say, would be trying to learn something in a way that God does not allow. So, she... Boy, which... I don't, I don't know that I would put that under this commandment directly, um, so much as maybe against the third commandment and the first commandment. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how many of you guys know Ouija boards? Right? Um, 
using a Ouija board to try and talk to a spirit or something like that. That's satanic art. And here's why, too, just so you know. When you die, what happens? You're dead. You're dead, and you go to heaven or hell at the moment of death. You're not wandering around. Can we talk to people who are in heaven? Can we talk to people who are in hell? When you talk to someone on a Ouija board, who are you talking to? Satan and his little demon. Satan and a demon. Why might they pretend to be a loved one that you knew before? They're the, he's the great deceiver. They don't want you to think your loved one is in heaven or hell. They want you to think that God leaves some people wandering around because that puts doubt where? In God's word. Right? Um, and this is hauntings too, right? There's no such thing as ghosts. That is absolutely the truth. But there are things that masquerade as ghosts to lead people away from the faith. Okay? Um, and maybe that's saying enough about that topic to keep the door kind of closed so we don't let in any of those things. But it is reality. There are things that want you to disbelieve, and they'll go to any measure to try and get you to disbelieve. Lying actually falls under this commandment because you're a Christian. And so if you're telling falsehoods about any topic as a Christian, you have the uh, reputation of being a Christian, you are breaking the second commandment. Um, and then deceiving by your name, that was the false doctrine we already talked about. Instead, we're to call upon God's name in every trouble. It's good to say, uh, thanks be to God, or uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, at the end of each one of his um, musical works, he wrote the, the letters S-D-G. Solo Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory for the work that he was doing, writing the beautiful music that he wrote. Um, or... Um, we, we kind of make fun of it now, right? But people say, praise be to Jesus. It's good to say that uh, in the right way. Uh, thanks be to God for, you know, I told you earlier, thank you, thanks be to God for the wonderful wife that he has given to me. Uh, thank God is a good prayer to say when someone gets better from something or all the time. Um, Pastor Kuhlman from, um, um, boy, between here and in Omaha, what's that? Murdoch. Murdoch, thank you. He likes to use this example, and I think he's right. When we have God's name, we have access to God, right? If, um, if Rich's car breaks down on the side of the road, most people, what are they going to do when they see Rich standing on the side of the road with his car on fire? Keep driving. Keep on driving. Why? Because <laughs> they got better things to do. They got better things to do, and they don't know who you are. He could be a murderer or um, a thief or some, I don't know, right? A guy like Rich, who knows? No, just. <laughs> but 
If Rich says, hello, my name is Rich. I work such and such place. I live here, my car. He's given his name to them, and now they have access to him and vice versa. Or if someone drives by and sees Rich and knows that it's Rich because they know his name and who he is, they're more likely to stop and help Rich. A couple years ago, we had driven down here to visit my parents, and um, our car, um, the alternator went out some way, somewhere between uh, my parents' house and Omaha, and you could tell because when you slowed down, the car was not doing as well, right? And it finally died um, in rush hour on 9th Street, right where it becomes the Highway 2. And there's traffic everywhere. And the car died right there at a stoplight. And here I am trying to push it out of the way so that we're not holding up traffic. By George, if my Boy Scout den leader from, uh, I don't know, 10 years before, drove by and saw me and knew me and my name, and he helped me push the car out of the way. Names give access in that regard. We have God's name, and so we can call upon it. We can talk to God. We can pray to God. We have access to God and the things that he gives because of his name. Questions about the second commandment? Um. Would you consider someone who chooses to live in sin as being a part of satanic arts, or is that something else? You know, it depends on what they're using to justify it. The popular thing in a lot of churches right now is to say, God forgives sin, and so I can do whatever I want to and live in that sin. When you use God to justify what you're doing wrong, yes, that's breaking the second commandment. When you sin and you don't give a hoot about God, it probably falls back more on the first commandment and whatever other commandment defines that sin. So I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend and I don't, I don't really care because I don't believe there's a God. That's sixth commandment and first commandment. It probably... If you're justifying yourself with God, then it's violating the second commandment. Now, when we get into those situations, of course, we usually are breaking all the commandments at the same time. And that's the re reality of how sinful we are. Um, so I don't know if that kind of answers. Now, how many of us have kept the second commandment and only used God's name appropriately and never used it wrongly? kind of guys are you? We've, we've only gone through two of these and nobody has kept any of them? Yeah. What's this tell us about ourselves? We're sinful. We're sinful people. And we can only find our hope and salvation outside of ourselves. And, as, and maybe this is where we should wrap it up today. Our hope and salvation is only in Jesus Christ, who suffers, bleeds, and dies to forgive all of our sin against all ten commandments, um, and then grants us a new heart uh, that we can seek to keep these commandments as best we can um, as Christians, awaiting that day when we are taken to glory 
and no longer have sin and will keep all the commandments perfectly. Questions about anything before we wrap up? <laughs> I have one little quick question. Yeah. You know, you said something about the Mormons and, and their teachings on baptism, that kind of thing. Oops. Oops. Okay. That's black. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh. I've done that. Um, I just noticed this morning they have a sign up that they have nativities. So do they have Christmas? They do. Um, A real quick run through of what Mormons believe is that there is a God of our world who at one time was a human being on another world, and they call him Elohim. Uh, When he became God of this world, he took to heaven all of his wives from the world where he lived before, the multiple wives from that world. And up in heaven, they had lots of spirit babies. And they filled heaven with all these spirit babies, and they had a big meeting about what they were going to do. And they uh, decided that these spirit babies would become human beings here in this world. Um, And they decided that the firstborn of those spirit babies named Jesus was going to become man to die for sin, which made the second spirit baby, Satan, Jesus' brother, really angry. And there was a war about this and a fight, and um, Jesus' side won. So they believed that that firstborn spirit baby, Jesus, was born of the Virgin Mary, not in the way we do. We believe the angel Gabriel spoke God's word into Mary's ear, and the word became flesh that way. They believe that their God, Elohim, came down, met the Virgin Mary, and they slept together, uh, and that's how Mary became pregnant with Jesus. And, And so Jesus is not God, He's just a spirit baby, the most important spirit baby, uh, but just a spirit baby. And uh, he became flesh, and he dies not on a cross, but on a post, which is why they don't have crosses on the top of their church, but instead just a pillar. And um, that if you believe hard enough, you can become God of your own. Not you, Darla, but any of the men in this room could become their own God. And if you are married spiritually to a man who becomes a god of his own planet, that he can call you up to be his spirit wife and populate that planet with your spirit babies. So just think about how long you have to be pregnant in heaven and how many times you have to give birth in heaven to populate your planet of spirit, with spirit babies. That's, that's a real quick... Well, I, I saw that this morning. I thought, wait a minute, what did I just see? You know, it kind of... That's the dangerousness of Mormonism is they use Christian terms and thoughts and ideas and apply completely wrong and false and misleading uh, teachings to that. And they, they use the same terminology, mm-hmm. but they don't understand it in the way the scripture teaches it. I appreciate your, yeah. your uh, All right. Should we close with the Lord's Prayer here? And then uh, we have church coming up. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.